Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Piers Morgan, Uncensored. Coming up tonight, Ukraine. Do we now have to face the cold, hard reality that Vladimir Putin is winning this war? The Navy SEAL who killed Osama bin Laden will be here to debate that with me. John Lydon is back and live with Johnny's Rotten World. And tennis bad boy Nick Kyrgios melts down yet again. Is he now officially world sport's biggest douchebag? The spectators who spend money to come watch us play, they should be removed. Like, there's no pure disrespect like that. I don't go up to their face and go to their 9 to 5 and start clapping when they're scanning the supermarket, do I? to Piers Morgan Uncensored. I want to start tonight by talking about Ukraine. Oh, not again, you might be saying. Why that? Haven't we moved on? Isn't it over? Well, no, actually, it's not over. It's still raging. A lot of people are being killed every single day in Ukraine. And it's incredibly important that we don't just move on, that we don't just forget about what's going on there. I fear that Russia is beginning to win this war. Remarkable footage released by the Ukrainian government today shows the exact moment that Vladimir Putin deliberately targeted a 1,000 civilians in a supermarket with this war crime. That's a cruise missile striking a shopping mall. It's a direct hit. That was no accident. That was no mistake. Putin did that because he knows he can get away with it and we just sit back and watch it. At least 20 people were killed, many more injured, many are still missing. They're simply trying to go about their, their life, doing their shopping. But there's no normal life in Ukraine. The sanctions on Russia have been huge and unprecedented. But they're not enough, are they? Just as Putin predicted, Europe and many so-called neutral countries remain gluttonous for his gas. Almost a billion dollars flows into the Kremlin every single day during this war. At this rate, Russia will make more from oil and gas this year than last the ruble has now rebounded to its pre-war value already. And while tens of billions in weaponry has indeed poured into Ukraine, Putin's still making a lot of ground on the ground. One war crime and one massacre at a time. Well, NATO confirmed at the summit in Madrid today that it's pressing ahead with expansion. Sweden and Finland will join the alliance. Thousands more troops and defences will be deployed to Europe's eastern frontier, including 3,000 American troops stationed in Romania, what some have likened to a new Iron Curtain. There were many more commitments, pledges and plaudits for Ukraine at that summit and another inspiring speech from President Zelensky. 
but there are also dozens more Ukrainians in body bags tonight. And that's the real story so far of a wretched war with no end in sight and seemingly no answer to the questions of how and when the Ukrainian suffering will stop. Well, I'm joined now by Rob O'Neill, the former US Navy SEAL, led the operation to kill Osama bin Laden. Rob, great to talk to you. Uh, we talked to you earlier in this war. And the feeling then, I think, was that the Ukrainians were showing remarkable resilience and that they had a real chance with Western help in terms of military hardware in repelling Russia. But I've got to say, and you may not agree with this, but just my sort of overview of where we are, is that it looks to me that Putin's playing the long game. Uh, he's playing it long militarily, and he's just edging his way through eastern Ukraine as he probably always wanted to. He's playing the long game with the sanctions. He's actually hoovering up cash from a lot of countries who still want his energy, and he knows that. So the sanctions just aren't working. I think he's playing a long game geopolitically with India and China. You know, there's a whole raft of countries out there who don't share our view that Putin necessarily is doing something despicable here. And you put it all together, and I'm reaching a pretty unfortunate conclusion that looks to me like Putin's getting what he wants and Russia is winning the war that it wants to win. What do you say to that? Thanks for having me, Piers. Always great to be here. I think that Vladimir Putin's been playing the long game for Mother Russia since he was in the KGB. He's, he was an intelligence officer there. He always kind of knew he was going to be in the spot where he is now as the premier running the place. And, and right now, as he does, he's at a spot where, you know, he knew he wanted to get uh, Georgia back. He wants to get Ukraine back. It's not long before he gets into uh, Latvia, Libya, uh, uh, Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, uh, just starts moving. In, and he, he realizes that that as long as we're doing what we can for for climate change regulations and hindering ourselves, closing down our pipelines, not being in energy independent, and that uh, places in Europe and, and even here will will fund his, his war in Russia just by buying his oil, as long as he doesn't care. He knows he's got the backing of China because China's just watching what we do. We as a coalition in Ukraine and we're, I mean, we're just lucky that the, the, the you know, Ukrainian civilians who, who are in the middle of this, and, and God bless all of them, because no war is nice and they're, in the, they're taking the brunt of it. They fought back with, with a little bit of backing from us. That, that's the only reason China hasn't rolled Taiwan yet. They're looking to be the big bullies because they know we don't have the will right now to necessarily fight toe-to-toe, -to -toe and we definitely don't play the long game. And they said it best in Afghanistan when we were fighting the Taliban for so long. They said, look, the, they have the clocks, but we have the time, and, and, right. and Putin's the same way. Purely militarily, first of all, you know, you, you're one of the finest uh, men to serve in the American military ever. When you look at this with your military expert eye, what, what are you seeing on the ground here? I mean, it, it just looks to me like he's playing a war of attrition, Putin, that he just keeps pounding, pounding, pounding. And the fact he unleashed his cruise missile right at the start of the G7 summit, almost like a massive two fingers to all those powers there to say, I don't care about any of you. I'm just doing whatever I like with impunity. Well, he doesn't even care about his own people. He doesn't care about his own soldiers. The, the Russians have always been the type of people, even back to World War One, World War Two, where they're like, here's your two soldiers will give you one gun. When the guy with the gun dies, you pick it up and go. They don't care about the... Their soldiers, they don't care about the, the civilians that are getting killed as long as they maintain their, their personal power. That's all they're trying to do. And he knows eventually... He thinks eventually... That he'll wear him down. He thought he'd roll right into Kiev and put in a puppet government like he did in Belarus and thought he'd keep rolling through the through, through the, the, the Balkans, but other oh, Baltics, sorry. And uh, but it's just not happening. And again, it's the will of the Ukrainian people and the pride that they have. And that I mean, our hat should be off to them. Yes, we're, we're arming them, but they're fighting. It, it, any any good leader would see that, that you know, the Rus the Russians 
have been lied to. The Russian troops are lied to. Their morale is low. They're getting fought with a resistance they never saw. They don't want to be there anymore either, but they don't have a choice. They have to fight. And uh, it's just, you know, again, attrition, attrition, attrition. Uh, Putin doesn't care. And he, I think he's terminally ill anyway. He doesn't, doesn't matter to him. You know, it's, he's got his finger on the button, too, and it's not long before he starts launching the big boys. There was a, there was a moment uh, today with Boris Johnson giving an interview. Uh, he's over with all the, the NATO leaders in which he made this extraordinary claim that if Putin wasn't a man, things would be very different. Listen to this, Rob. If Putin was a woman, which I, he obviously isn't, but uh, if he were, I really don't think he would have embarked on a crazy, macho war of, of invasion uh, and violence in the way that he has. If, if you want a perfect example of toxic masculinity, it's, it, it's what he's doing in, in Ukraine. It, I mean, what did you think of that, Rob? I thought that was a ridiculous well, I mean, thing to say. Well, I mean, I think if we had people that weren't like Putin or Boris Johnson in charge, maybe a lot of this nonsense wouldn't happen anyway. A lot of them get sucked in the system. I mean, I mean, uh, Vladimir Putin's a narcissist and he's a sociopath. Uh, if there was anyone else in charge, it wouldn't happen. I mean, uh, look, I'm at a point now with all the nonsense happening ever since the lockdown. If it, if all it took was us putting women in charge, I'm all for it. I'll be the first one in line to vote. Cool. Um, possibly, yes. I mean, I had that joke that if women were in charge, we wouldn't go to war, but we would have countries that wouldn't talk to each other for a few months. I can live with that at this point. But uh, I don't I don't think the toxic masculinity has anything to do with it. I think it's the talk. Talk, toxic uh, psychosis that he right. happens to have. And he's always been told he's the best. He's always been the top of the class. He's always known he's going to be number one. And it's, it's just him being, just being a jerk. Rob, final question. I mean, can, can Ukraine actually win this war without NATO getting directly involved militarily? I think they can fight to a standstill, and the only thing they can do is bleed them dry till they wanted to leave. Because you saw what they did to Belarus, and Belarus is now helping with launch stuff in there. If I mean, if they had the the, the weaponry that we have and the, the the technology that we have, yeah, they could beat them. Uh, if it comes down to us coming to them, and NATO has to fight Russia, which we don't want, but we did just put two more countries in there today. Um, you know, we'll take Russia quickly. I don't want it to come to that. I've been to war. I wish there was no such thing as war. I wish there was no such thing as as to toxic masculinity in high places, but there is right now. And hopefully, I mean, let's get a woman in charge. I'm I'm all for it. <laughs> Rob O'Neill, you're always surprising. That's why I love to interview you. Thank you very much for <laughs> taking the time. Good to talk to you. Anytime. Great to see you. Well, that says the next is a simple question that politicians just can't answer. What is a woman? Documentary maker Matt Walsh joins me next on his quest to find out. Please, if one person could tell me what a woman is. You are not here for women. We ask you to leave. What is that? Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored. It's a simple question that now terrifies politicians the world over. And it's this, what is a woman? Well, Conservative podcast host Matt Walsh, in a moment of defying intervention, has made a documentary about it and it's called simply, What is a Woman? And it's out now. What is a woman? Can you tell me that? <laughs> well, you're at the Women's March. You must have some idea. Please, if, if one person could tell me what a woman is. You are not here for women. We ask you to leave. What is that? A woman is not anything in particular. There is not one particular thing. It could be many things to many people. Some women have penises, right? Some men have vaginas. I like scented candles. And I've watched Sex in the City. Yeah. How do I know if, if I'm a woman? That's a great question. You're not a scientist. You're not a gender studies major. No. How do you know that you're a man? I guess because I got a dick. Can a man become a woman? <laughs> I'm not a woman, so I, I can't really answer that. Women only know what women are. Are you a uh, cat? No. 
Can you tell me what a cat is? You want to tell us what a woman is? Well, Matt Walsh joins me now. Matt, great to talk to you. It's a, it's a fascinating documentary because the chronic inability of apparently sane, intelligent individuals to answer this incredibly simple question is breathtaking. And, you know, we're seeing it all over the world now. Senior politicians everywhere. And we saw it with Katanji Brown-Jackson. This is a woman who's now a Supreme Court justice. This is what she said when she was asked about this in her confirmation hearing. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. Of... I mean, Matt, when you, when you heard that, when you heard a Supreme Court justice nominee saying, I can't say what a woman is, even though she is one, because she's not a biologist, what did, what did you think? Well, first I thought this was great timing because we were going to announce our film that week and then that moment happened and it was just, it was kind of divine providence, I think, as you pointed out. Um, I, you know, there, there's, there's two different things going on here. You've got people who can't answer the question, who are actually confused about it, and that's quite terrifying that people are confused about something as simple as this. But then you also have people who are pretending to be confused when they're not really, which is actually even more concerning in a lot of ways. And I think that Ketanji Brown-Jackson, I'm going to assume, given that she's a very successful, intelligent person, um, that, uh, and she is a woman herself and realizes that she's a woman, I think she's in the latter category, where she actually knows that a woman is a female, but uh, is pretending that she doesn't know because she's beholden to this ideology that has, you know, basically backs her into this corner. And so she has to feign ignorance about something as simple as this. Right. I mean, I asked uh, the president of the, in the UK, the National Union of Students president, uh, a young woman, uh, a very bright young woman, but I asked her, what is a woman out of interest? And she thought I was trying to trap her. She actually thought I was, I, this was a trap. I said, no, I'm just asking you what you think a woman is. It's not a trap. It shouldn't be a trap. How have we got here, Matt? How have we got to a place where young women are paralysed with fear about even saying what they are? This is uh, gender ideology. I mean, that's what, that's what this is. And, uh, uh, you know, you could kind of, if you want to trace it back, you could kind of decide how far back you want to go. There are certain landmark moments you can point to in history. Now, I think for a lot of people, it feels like Everyone knew what a woman was, and a man was a man, and a woman was a woman, up until about eight years ago, and then everyone lost their minds. Uh, but it actually traces back farther than that. In the film, we go back and we trace it back to guys like John Money and Alfred Kinsey, you know, sexologists and, uh, and psychoanalysts in the mid-20th century who came up with what we know today as sort of the, the, the early iteration of modern-day gender ideology. And I think they got it into the institutions, especially higher, you know, academia, those kinds of institutions. And then from there, it sort of filtered down to the general public. Maybe about eight years ago is when it sort of exploded onto the mainstream scene and uh, took over at least Western, the Western world after that point, I think. And, and where it's got, I think, really dangerous and insidious, actually, to society is particularly in issues like sport, where you see trans athletes now... Uh, dominating in women's sport. We had an example of this at the weekend where a, 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 a biological male skateboarder who was uh, 32, I think, or something, um, this person decided to compete uh, as a woman, has now transitioned uh, to be a woman, uh, in this skateboarding competition in New York. 
against girls as young as 12 and destroyed the field and, and won. Um, this is what the, the trans athletes said afterwards. I find that funny because that's like what I'm getting beat up about the most is like you're beating little kids and little girls and I'm just like uh I didn't intend to do that like I just this was the first competition that I've been to that I actually wanted to win the skill levels again really determined by your just like your your determination your tenacity to just like put yourself in on top and through these obstacles <laughs> has nothing to do with your age. Do you think that you have a physical advantage? I'm like, look at me, I'm not like buff or anything, you know? I don't think skateboarding has anything to do with physicality. I mean, I, actually, Ricky Trez there is 29 or 32, but the, the, the competition, the girl who came second was 12. The kind of level of delusion there, that there was no physical advantage from being a biological male, that's where we've got to. They genuinely believe there's nothing wrong with this, but it's clearly, to me, transparently unfair. Right, well, we also live in a world where now you can't say pregnant woman, you say pregnant people because supposedly men get pregnant. This, this is the ultimate, this is the emperor has no clothes. And, and almost everybody, you look at that and, you, and if you're asked, does it make sense to have a 29-year-old father of three competing in the women's competition against 13-year-old girls? If people feel like they're in a position where they could be honest about it, uh, almost everyone is going to say, obviously, no. By the way, about that particular individual, he actually did an interview about a year ago where he said that he knows he's not a woman, but he, but he wants to be cute and feminine like women, and so that's what he's trying to do. Mm -hmm. He actually says that. So it's, it's gotten to the point now where someone, you know, they, they don't even affirm themselves as a woman, and yet we have to do that? It just doesn't... It doesn't make any sense at all. How has your uh, documentary gone down, Matt? Have you, have you had a lot of pressure not to give it much airtime? Yeah, well, there, it's been interesting. So it's, you know, we, we've fortunately been able to get outside of kind of the conservative podcast bubble and reach a mainstream audience, which is what we wanted to do. And the reception in that kind of general audience has been really overwhelmingly good, and people are happy this film is out there. The mainstream critics, though, have just decided they're going to ignore this movie completely. You go to Rotten Tomatoes right now, and you'll find that not one single mainstream film critic has reviewed the film. We right. sent the screeners to mainstream critics, and they told us, uh, I, I, don't want, I'm not, I refuse to watch it. I'm not going to watch anything from The Daily Wire. And, and uh, so they won't even look at it. They refuse to even take the time to see what we can present. Which is complete madness, because I've watched it with great fascination. It's very well made. It's a very simple premise. And the results, frankly, are startling and pretty disconcerting. Uh, final question, Matt. In the interest of fair play, what is a man? Well, if a woman is an adult human female, then I suppose a man would be an adult human male, I, I would say. I think it really is as simple as that. Matt Walsh, thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, breaking news in the last few minutes, the singer R. Kelly has been jailed for 30 years for sex trafficking. The court has heard victim impact statements from seven women presented anonymously as Jane Doe's. They confronted the disgraced singer over his godlike complex and said he used fame and power to entice his victims. The disgraced singer listened as the survivors contemned his despicable abuse and described him as a Pied Piper of R&B ahead of a judge announcing his jail term. So to recap there, R. Kelly one of the biggest R&B stars ever, has now been sentenced to 30 years in prison for sex trafficking. Well, Uncensored Next is a rotten world, and who better to put it to rights than John Lydon? Johnny's Rotten World, next.
that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, John Lydon, a.k.a. Johnny Rotten, knows a thing or two about being uncensored, and that's why he's back for another instalment of Johnny's Rotten World. And he joins me now, live from the Cotswolds in England. Looking, I have to say, John, you look like a, a, a real member of the landed British gentry there. I'm proper, and I'm in the middle of recording. So, <laughs> you know, if you're going to respect your music, dress appropriately. <laughs> How are you, Pierce? I'm good, thanks, John. <laughs> Great to have you back. Uh, a lot of stuff going on I want to yeah. talk to you about. I'll tell you the first one that struck me. As the man that gave us anarchy in the UK, what do you make of this attempt by Scotland to force another referendum and break away from the UK? And it comes at a time where many people think a united Ireland might then follow. and We may see the end of the United Kingdom. How do you feel about that? Uh... It's, it's, it's swings and roundabouts and political trickery, and I, I'm unimpressed by all of them, and they have been for many, many a decade, uh, and, and particularly that, that, that Scottish lady. Uh, I think she's highly deceitful, and she's going to cause some serious problems down the line. Would you, would you uh, be sad? We didn't build Hadrian's Wall. <laughs> <laughs> would, you be sad, would you be sad to see Scotland go off on its own? No, because have you ever tried spending Scottish money in England? <laughs> it's not easy. No, it ain't. It's not easy finding I a Scot Scotland, to spend any money, you know, period. Our, our gigs there are some of the best uh, and finest we've ever done. Uh, to me, these are me people. And uh, the political shenanigans and the divisiveness is, like, uh, I think, ultimately irrelevant and a fiasco. Uh, it, it will all backfire on them. It always does. And if it doesn't, I'll be there to make sure it will. <laughs> we had uh, Nicola Sturgeon, the lady you talked about, the leader of the SNP in Scotland. She met the Queen today, which must have been a pretty difficult conversation, I would imagine. And it came as uh, Prince Charles uh, let it be known he would no longer be accepting bags of cash for his charities after three million yeah, yeah, euros worth of stuffed about? in Fortnum and Mason bags. Yeah, what did you make of that? Well, I reckon... I, well done, Charlie, you've joined the working class. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had three million stuffed in a Fortnum and Mason's bag, John? <coughs> no, I, I heard yesterday it was one million, and these figures are going to juxtaposition up and down ad infinitum. Like, I don't know what that's about, 
Personally, I think it's really none of my business, right? Well, do you, yeah? I mean, until, I suppose the until, argument until, is... Until it's proved... I mean, the argument until I would say to you... differently. Yeah, I mean, the argument is that he's the future king. The king is very much all of our business in the sense that we pay for the upkeep of the royal family. Oh, so well, I guess... study your history, Pierce. Kings have been collecting money like that <laughs> since the dawn of kings. That is true. <laughs> so should we, should we care? If it's all going to the charity anyway, should we care? Does it matter how the charity gets this money? Well, I, I would, if that be the truth, then, I, then I'm quite happy that the millions go tax-free to charity. Because one of my biggest problems is every time I donate, I get taxed on it. Mm. All right? So I think, well done, Bonnie. Bonnie Prince Charlie, the Scottish connection. <laughs> Did you catch any of, of Glastonbury, John? No. No, we, we almost played there. They, they gave us an offer, but it was so underwhelming financially that there was no point to it. <laughs> I've heard there's been people moaning. There's been people moaning that, like, uh, old fellas are having fun. Yeah. You know? Oh, for God's sake. And it's an old fella doing the moaning. What, it, what is the as oldest... As far as I'm concerned. What is the oldest, John, that you think... What's the oldest you would feel comfortable performing in front of a big crowd? Well, if Paul McCartney can do that, right? Accolades, accolades, right? Fantastic, right? I think you should keep going and going and going like the Duracell bunny until you finally run out. It seems interesting because I watched, I watched McCartney. McCartney's set, I thought, was actually really good, mainly because his back catalogue of songs is so incredible, but also I think he's, he's been quite careful about the kind of song he sings so that his voice doesn't get exposed, because obviously not as strong as it was well, when he was you know, in his 30s. But Diana Ross, I felt, sadly, um, she's got some great songs, obviously. She's two years younger than McCartney. But actually, watching it on TV at home, I thought her voice was, was pretty awful. Uh, what do we do oh, with yes, what do we no, do with icons? Lo she's lost it. She's lost in a chorus of backing vocalists. Yeah. Right? And, and that's kind of grim. But I don't care. I absolutely grew up and loved Diana Ross yeah. to death, right? Does it matter? At any age. Does it matter they I can't don't care perform at the same level? rattle off her. I love her. Right? But, love I mean, her. Should it, should love it, her. Should Keep it matter? Keep going, the, the only one I'd knock is Mick Jagger, because he's rubbish. But the rest, <laughs> I have you all. Well, you know what? I had this debate. I had this debate the other day about Mick Jagger, because I don't think he's ever been a very good singer. He's a great rock star performer... And a great dancer, but I don't think he's yeah. a great singer, is he? He must have connections, man, to get away with that for so long. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've, I've been criticised as not being a great singer, but my classic example by way of explanation is, well, neither is that, right? Mm. <laughs> is it something like that? I don't know, you know? <laughs> That's what you get when you hang out with, you know, the elite. I got fair play to him and all that, but it's uh, there is no such thing as old codgers, right? There's just people wanting fun at any age, right? Don't let governments dictate to you what time you should give up and collect your pension. Uh, those are the kind of rules that lefty fools follow, not us proper people. Do you, think, do you think we should all... You know, you've got you to gotta, you gotta kick the donkey to the bitter end.
I sort of, I do agree with you. I mean, I sort of do believe in the philosophy of growing old disgracefully. Because why wouldn't you? Who wants to grow old boringly oh, and, and, you know, yeah. behaving yourself? I, I, yeah, I, I remember when I was young, I used to think, like, how great it would be if I got put in an old folks' home. Imagine the terror I could get up to. <laughs> <laughs> when you go around, when you go around, John, uh, with all the hype around the Sex Pistols series that's come out and everything, and obviously he's put the pistols back in all the headlines and stuff, what kind of reaction do you get from, from the British public these days? Oh, uh, very, very favourable and pro-me because they know I was the man what wrote the songs, created the image, performed it live and had to live with the experience. Whereas this bunch of fake wannabes are nothing like that. Mm. And it, it's quite laughable, really. Um, that, that pill gigs now, what it used to be, Pistols audience are now fully, fully wrapped around us, Right. They know this is nonsense. This should never have happened, man. How can you cut out the songwriter and think you're going to do anything at all to make mm. the world a better place? Mm. I, I completely agree. The Pistols without you is just not the Pistols. What do you make, John, of the, of the strikes that are going on at the moment in this country with a lot of different companies and a lot of different unions wanting to take on the companies at a time when we're already in a pretty serious financial situation? Do you support the strikers? Yeah, no, I don't. It, 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 six of one, half a dozen of the other. Some of those strikes actually seriously affected us on tour. Uh, our tour bus kept breaking down, so we'd have to uh, find alternative means of transport. And one of them would, of course, be trains. Mm. Oh, no, the trains are on strike. It seems like England has this, this perpetual motion of self-destroying itself, mm. just when it could be saved. And that's how I view strikes, as, as unnecessary. If you don't like the job, sod off and get another one, right? But trains keep the country running. I can't, I can't change that. That's an actual fact. I mean, we're seeing... Well, we're seeing, I think, the Royal Mail... Has, anybody I think the Royal so Mail voted... Back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Royal Mail voted today to go on strike as well. We're seeing the airline uh, crews now... Wanted to do the same. It's sort of spreading like like a virus, yeah. which ironic, given that we just come out of a pandemic or still coming out of it, uh, involving a real virus. But yeah. it just feel like everyone yeah. now yeah, is yeah, just it, trying yeah. to, you know, exploit the situation. To me, yeah, yeah, I, I'm very worried that it's the same people behind all of these orchestrated manoeuvres. It really is just all about destroying everything. Uh, this secret agenda Karl Marx nonsense. I mean, my God, man, young kids are supporting a professional parasite mm. as a political doctrine. And, and here we go. I, I, I was watching some of the union officials the other morning on TV and a blather out of it. It was so 50 years ago didn't mm. work. Stop it. Grow up. Move mm. on. Fix it. Sick of them. You know what, John? I, Sick of them. I don't disagree. I think the timing of all this it could not be worse. Just when the country's getting back on its feet, it's wham, bam. Oh, I think it's deliberate. We're flattened. I think it yeah, is yeah, deliberate, yeah. yeah. It's exploiting the situation. Yeah. Uh, before we let you go, John, um, a little bit of good news here, and I wanted you to join me in embracing and celebrating this. So there's a cricket team called the Motley Crew, which I thought you would like. Not the actual Motley Crew that you know. <clears throat> this is a cricket team called the Motley Crew in Faversham in Kent. 
Formed 29 years ago in 1993, they have been the most useless cricket team in the history of cricket. They've never, <laughs> ever, ever won a game until Sunday. And on Sunday, they finally <laughs> broke the habit of their entire life. They chased down 134 against a team from the Three Horseshoes pub in nearby Hearn Hill. They had a one-wicket win, and the all-rounder Bobby Dolan said, I didn't think this day would ever come, but to be fair, we sneaked one net session in on Wednesday. <laughs> they celebrated their momentous oh. win by toasting their crestfallen opponents. Yeah. But I just think, I'm a massive cricket fan, but... This is so English, isn't it? I You've got you this, this team not, of perennial so. <laughs> losers and they finally win a game. What do you make of that? Oh, I think that's, like, very good. I'm really happy for them, right? But honestly, Pierce, I hate cricket. I, I, if <laughs> you I can't hate way, cricket, John. You all lose all the time. <laughs> you cannot hate cricket. If you hate cricket, you hate life. Motley Crue, huh? I hope they don't get done for copyright over the name. <laughs> well, they might, mightn't they? They might. I think they spell it a bit. Oh, I think they spell imagine it's... that, you know? You know what American <laughs> lawyers are like? I've just had to deal with Disney World. <laughs> uh, out of interest, have you ever been partying with Motley Crue, John? Uh, I, I know a few of them, yeah. They're all right. They are. They're know? good lads. People I actually... are not quite... We're not quite like what we're supposed to be according to the tabloids. Mm. Actually, sometimes we're worse. <laughs> right. and I, I, can't, I can't inter... go into details, but I, interviewed I am a survivor. Them. I interviewed them at the Whiskey A Go-Go <laughs> in Sunset Boulevard and they changed the awning outside to, for one night only, Motley Crue and Piers Morgan. And it was actually probably the greatest moment of my life. Oh, that's that. a good one, isn't it? It was great. I've, I hope you got that in your bedroom wall. I have. I've got it on the loo wall, actually. Uh, John, I've got to leave it there. What it's great to catch up with you. Think you've got two Motley Crews in your house. <laughs> <laughs> John Lydon, great God to talk you, to you. Pierce. Good, good having a chat. Sir. Come back soon. Enjoy right. the Cotswolds. You look, you look very Cotswolds. I will. <laughs> Take care. All the best. Over and out. <laughs> Well, Uncensored next, Nick Kyrgios melts down again. Is he now the biggest douchebag in world sport? We'll debate that next. They should be removed. Like, there's no pure disrespect like that. I don't go up to their face and go to their 9 to 5 and start clapping when they're scanning the supermarket, do I? Well, that's Barry White's 1973 here. I'm going to love you just a little more, baby. And if you're wondering why on earth I'm playing that, it's because, as you may have detected, I currently sound like Barry White. <laughs> and I didn't want that to just happen without you wondering for two days running, what the hell's wrong with him? Uh, I haven't been on the lash with the Sex Pistols. It's just I've got a... I've got a bug, and oddly, it's not that bug. It's another bug that pretends to be that bug, but isn't. So I now sound like... Barry White, which I thought you'd find fascinating. So there we are. Uh, I'm joined now by my peers pack, socialist author Grace Blakely, the Times political sketch writer Quentin Letts, and Sky News Australia host Erin Modemore. Welcome all of you. What a powerful pack it is tonight. Uh, Quentin, great to see you're, you. You're as deep as Ruth Kelly. Yeah. Do you remember her? <laughs> she had a very deep voice. Quentin, <laughs> let me ask you with this, this hot potato question, what is a woman? My wife. Right. She's a woman. But uh, what is a woman? I don't know, it's, it's the opposite of a man. How about that? How have we got to a place where this is even something that gets debated and people are horrified about even answering it? 
Well, it's a sort of linguistic terrorism uh, that's been going on and uh, absurd, and it means absolutely nothing in the real world of politics. That does... Uh, as in electoral politics. It means has absolutely no impact at all. So it's just lunacy that the elite is getting itself into a lather about. I mean, where it gets, I think, sort of more dangerous, we've talked about the, the sport issue, which I think is just unfair, but there's also, Grace, uh, that Sajid Javid has come out today and said he wants NHS website to start using woman as a term again. And the reason for that is they eliminated the word woman to try and be more inclusive, and it turned out that they were actually making it then more dangerous for people to actually get the health treatment they needed. Well, presumably they changed it to avoid confusion for people who do identify as women. So well, the point being, if you remove all female-specific terminology, actually a lot of people who are at the lower socioeconomic range in this country, who are already maybe confused, who don't speak English as a natural language, whatever it may be, they have even more reason not to understand what they should be doing to save their lives. So this does have consequences, kind sure. of language I mean, eradication. Like, I think calling it linguistic terrorism is a bit much. I think the vast majority of people, actually, including lots of my trans friends, actually, mm. who've spoken about this, are just like, who cares at this point about what we're calling X or Y or Z or, like, what we're labelling mm. things or, you know, all these questions around who does what in sports. Actually, the biggest issues facing trans people are the biggest issues facing a lot of other people, which are they can't afford to heat their homes, they can't afford to, you know, get good jobs that provide them with good pay and good security. They also, you know, suffer with a number of other issues, like they're more likely to get attacked and abused and all that other stuff in the street. So probably focus on that rather than all of this stuff about... So when you get asked what is a woman, what's your answer? Well, I would say a cisgender woman is someone who's born with female sex organs at birth and continues to identify as a woman, and a transgender woman is someone who's born with male sex organs right. at birth and then identifies as a woman later in life. I mean, that, to me, seems actually a very easy way of solving the problem. You call trans women trans women... I think that's fine. I, mean, I think most women would be very happy being Most trans people trans I know women. don't really care. I think you're right. I think it's been whipped up by, as always, extremists on these debates who make it very difficult. Um, I want to come to another hot potato, Erin Molan, because you and I are going to fall out over this. Because you've sent this, this animal over to Wimbledon here, Nick Kyrgios, <laughs> who has got plenty of form for behaving like a beast and has excelled himself at Wimbledon already. I want to play a little clip of him in action where he basically abused everybody yesterday. Spectators who spend money to come watch us play, they should be removed. Has one person today come to see her speak? No. Like, I know you got fans. But she got none. You know, a couple lucky shots here or there, but he put himself in a position to win. Andy? Hi, Nick. Andy He's basically a pig. He's eating his food as he talks to the media. He abuses a female lines woman. He abuses a, an elderly lines man. He, he abuses the crowd. He spits at one of them. I mean, the, the man's out of control. Can you put up any defence? for this Antipodean monster? <laughs> Piers, there's, there's plenty of Australians who think he's an absolute tool as well. <laughs> I'll give you the nod. And I've been one of his most vocal critics for a very long time. But I tell you what, 
the spitting even towards someone at their direction is appalling. The abuse of anyone in their workplace is appalling. The hypocrisy that he displays is completely appalling. He, he replied to someone on social media overnight that had taken him to task over this and said, oh, but I would never go into your workplace and abuse you. Does he think the linesmen are volunteers? That's their workplace. He's abusing them. But what I will say is it gives you Brits something to complain about. And you love that. You love having someone from somewhere else to complain about and to get angry about. Well, you know and what we complain that. about. So you, know, you guys look, actually I d- secretly love this. Well, I do like a complaint, but I have to say, the thing about Wimbledon, it has this rarefied <laughs> atmosphere. It's the elite of our society. Mm. People dress up, they're polite to each other, they eat strawberries, they drink pims, they have a nice time. And then you get this guy <laughs> coming along, wrecking it all for everybody. And that unlike John McEnroe, at least was good enough to win, he's not even that good. Mm. The ego's writing checks the yeah, body and the I'll... talent can't cash. <laughs> look, look, you're right, and, and you kind of need to earn the right to be a complete flog on the court, don't you? You make a great point that if he was actually winning Grand Slams and winning titles, it might be slightly easier to just stomach. But he's entertaining. You know, he won the doubles here in Australia with his mate, the special case they called them, It puts bums on seats and people watch. It's like a car crash. It's like you. Look at your ads. Love him or loathe him, you can't look away. And that's exactly what Nick Kyrgios is. Well, I'm afraid despite your spirited defence... Sometimes I look and go, oh. Aaron, despite your spirited defence, he is winning my douche of the day, or should I say deuce of the day, given (laughs) he's at Wimbledon. (laughs) There we are. (laughs) Kyrgios, you're our douche of the day. Um, We'll come back to you in a moment, Aaron. I want to talk to the panel about something more serious now. Uh, the breakup of the United Kingdom, Grace. I'm very sad about what I feel is happening. I feel like it's almost inevitable, triggered by Brexit, that this sort of sense of independence now is contagious. Scotland is probably going to, in my lifetime, break away. I think Ireland, uh, we're going to have United Ireland, Northern Ireland will break away from the Union, and there won't be a United Kingdom. How do you feel about it? I feel that you know, all of these questions are best settled by the people themselves. And I'm a great advocate of the democratic process. You know, I voted Remain, for example, but when it was clear that the country got behind leave, I was then like, right, OK, well, we need to get behind that and we need to make sure that we deliver on oh, that because same. you can't yeah. rescind a vote like that uh, if it's been, you know, subject to democratic approval. I think, you know, the same th- thing for the people of Scotland. If that is what they really want, if they continue to really push for independence and if Nicola Sturgeon does get that referendum, which she could do at the next election, if it is, as looks likely, uh, not um, a Conservative government, um, and, you know, Labour has to go into a a coalition with the SNP. Um, But again, you know, this is a question for the Scottish people. The fact that they continue to vote SNP in such high numbers is, I think, just as much about a rejection of the two other main parties as it is about independence. So, you know, we'll see what happens when the actual Clinton, I mean, takes It always makes me chuckle when I see the very people who are most enraged by Scotland breaking off on their own are the Brexiteers, who... I spent... think that's true. I think it is true. Most Brexiteers are pretty incensed that Scotland would have the audacity to do this, and yet the Brexiteers had the same argument. We want to go off on our own. We want to do our own thing. I don't think that's true at all. I think you're drifting a bit there, because my suspicion... I've known proof for this, but my suspicion is that a lot of English people would think if the Scots want to become independent, well, let them go, because uh, the economics of the matter mean that the English and the Welsh and the Northern Irish should be better off without the Scots. Um, and I think that's the brutal uh, sort of reality of what a, a lot of, of the English 
uh, now, I would say. I think that uh, Grace makes a very good point about uh, democracy. If the Scots want to go, they should be allowed to go. Mm. And the worst thing possible would be to somehow sort of kettle drum them into the, a UK that they didn't want to be part of. But I'm not convinced that uh, the givens are all there, and I suspect that the, the Scots might decide, the Scottish voters might decide, as they did last time, to They might, stay. they might, or they might. I, I've got a bad feeling that they won't. Why do you so, say bad feeling, though? Because, because I, I, like but, the, I like the idea of the United Kingdom. Well, I like the idea of us being part of Europe, personally. But, but, but I mean, this I've seen not... no, but way, I've seen no benefit so far notwithstanding we've been hit by other events. I have not seen a single benefit of Brexit so far. I've seen the complete opposite. Oh, well, that's complete nonsense because there is automatically the democratic accountability benefit. And if we had not come out of the European Union mm. after that referendum, I think it would have been a scandal. The one benefit I would give it, actually, is I think the, the vaccine programme, the way that we were able to opt out of the European collective... No, but, no, but I think I'm making quite an important point here. It's if the uh, referendum result had somehow been overturned, mm. I think we'd have looked stupid. But, I mean, that's not really a case for saying that the way that the Brexit process has been handled has been good. Sure, there was a mandate to respect that democratic decision, but, but that's quite Brexit, Brexit was always this, you know, big thing that was presented to the country as a done deal. Just say, vote for this thing and you'll get given it. It was never that. It was always a process. Mm. And the way it's been managed has been really bad mm. by the Conservative well, Party. the same thing might happen with Scottish independence. But, you know, if the Scots vote for independence... They should be given... A well, I, I, ultimately, I, I believe, like Grace, in, in democracy. Let's talk about Boris Johnson saying that if Putin was female, this wouldn't have happened <laughs> oh, before. God. I just despair. It's like when... Um, I think it was Arianna <laughs> Huffington, after the financial crisis, said, if it had been Lehman sisters, this never would have happened. Mm. Honestly, I just find the kind of... Like, the liberal feminism, and I use liberal in the British sense of the term, not in the American sense of the term, where there's no attempt to kind of look at power relations, no attempt to look at politics and economics and the systems that underpin all our lives. It's just like women are over here and men are over here. And often, actually, it is very dichotomised as well. You're like, yeah, women are great because they're nice and sweet and caring and they look after kids and men are in the boardroom mm. and they're violent and competitive. It's all... Also, I we're always being told... Quentin, there have, all... been, there have been some despicable female leaders Catherine in history. Catherine the Great, Catherine the great actually won... Catherine the Great, great uh, Russian leader, actually, seized um, so the, 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 some of these areas now mm -hmm. being fought over uh, for Russia in the... Uh, when was it? was early, uh, early mm -hmm. 1800s, but, uh, or perhaps, perhaps I'm 100 years out. However, I would say this, that um, I think a little bit of baiting of Putin is no bad thing. No. And also, when you look at Putin, he's rather a peculiar figure. I mean... You sort of imagine him, were he a greyhound, he'd have very, very tight backside, uh, 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 <laughs> back area. But, you know, there is a sort of slight sort of scent. You can imagine from Putin, if you were up close to him, be a smell of lynx artichoke. <laughs> I want to bring in Erin. Smell of uh, I no, bring back no, in. nocturnal vaseline. You <laughs> wouldn't want to share a tent with Erin. Very quickly, uh, we haven't got much time, but this idea that women make sort of more peaceful leaders and none of these wars will be happening, I mean, do you buy into that? No, not at all. And a quick Google of the world's most evil women, and I, I'm not trying to beat up the British here, but a lot of them come from your side of the neck of the wall. It's Bloody Mary, I think, leading the way there. But no, it, look, if he'd said that uh, if Putin had not been a narcissistic psychopath, then I'd probably agree with that more. If, yeah. if he'd said maybe if America hadn't weakened so significantly under the Biden administration, uh, Putin may not have invaded Ukraine. I believe in that more. I, I, I agree no, with I agree. I think, you. I know what? Think we, I think we've actually reached a point of consensus and, yeah. on this panel, which is highly unusual. Thank you, Grace. Thank you, Quentin. Thank you to Erin <laughs> in Australia. You know what you're talking about, Piers. We agree it. every week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to end just with a few words about Dame Deborah James, a.k.a. Bow Babe. She was an extraordinary woman 
who died aged just 40 last night to battling bowel cancer for five years, raising millions of donations for research. Above all, her legacy will be raising the spirits of millions of cancer sufferers around the world with her witty, sharp and searingly honest commentaries on living and ultimately dying with a disease. She was a great lady and she did a great job for so many people and she will be deeply missed by this country. Thank you, Dame Deborah. That's it from me. Whatever you're up to, make sure it's uncensored. Good night. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.